This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. Hi, listeners. Well, this may be the first episode of The Lydia Project that you have listened to, or it may be around the 50th. But for us, it's the first one that's coming to you from our new platform host, which is Podbean. As we mentioned at the end of the last couple of episodes, we are really grateful to the Gospel Coalition Australia for all the help and support they have given us up until this point. We really appreciated uh, working with the team there. But we are also very excited to be going out on our own and being on this new platform host that just gives us access to... uh, fun things like analytics and also very helpful things like a streamlined way for us to get the episodes from conversation to your ears with minimum fuss as possible. So that's great and we're loving that. Um, One of the things that we discovered, which was really fun last month since being on Podbean, is that the episodes have been downloaded over 2,000 times. So that was really exciting. And we can also see where our listeners are coming from. So that's fun too. So wherever you might be in the world, hello to you. Thank you again for listening. We just love hearing from you wherever you are and really appreciate the little messages, uh, the reviews, the conversations that we have where people tell us that the Lydia Project has been an encouragement to them. That, of course, is our prayer. We just pray that God would be honoured as these conversations are shared and listened to and that people might be built up in their faith and encouraged to stand firm and just grow in their love and understanding of God and what he's done and be inspired to think about new ministries, new ways of serving, new ways of sharing the gospel. So we're thrilled when we hear that that's happening and we're really glad that you as a listener can be part of that too. Okay, on to the next episode, which you're about to listen to. I love talking to people when they are enthusiastic about something and I especially love it when it's an enthusiasm for the gospel and for sharing Jesus with people. And my next guest, Chris O'Gorman, has been involved in school chaplaincy ministry for a long time, and you will hear that her enthusiasm certainly hasn't dampened over the years. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if it has increased. She has a great ability to really understand the the fairly unique context of school chaplaincy ministry and just has so much wisdom in how to navigate that territory um, for the good of the girls that she loves and serves. And so I think you'll really enjoy hearing her talk about her life and her ministry. Thank you so much for having me here in Mm. your little cosy chapel meeting room. Um, I'm here with Chris and Chris is a chaplain at Somerville House. And Chris, let's begin by asking how did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah, well, I've always been someone who's worked in schools and uh, that was the background of my faith journey too. Uh, I didn't come from a a Christian family. Uh, The family did go to church on and off. 
well, probably reasonably regularly, but it was just the, more the done thing when I was a child, and that was the way things had been brought up. But apart from those Sunday services, there wasn't uh, much mention of, of God, and, and he wasn't relevant so much in our family household. But when I was at school, um, at high school, at uh, Kelvin Grove, uh, stayed high, I had some friends who were Christians, and we became a group of friends in year nine. Actually, only one of them knew the Lord, but one by one, the others came to know the Lord and she she came from a Christian family and uh, took each took them along to youth group and so on. Uh, but I held out a bit. Um, I was the last actually to make that decision. I had become quite serious about my schoolwork in about year nine or so and discovered that what I was good at was the more the math science area. And I began to think that uh, science could answer everything pretty much. And I began to think of uh, the stories about Jesus and God as being a bit on the same level as the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, something that your parents told you to try to make you be good or something like that. So, yes, I didn't have much time for anything of a spiritual nature, whether it was Ouija boards or ghosts or, you know, God or anything. I just really didn't think that was necessary at all. When I was in about um, year 10, the thing that started changing my mind actually was two things really, was watching my friends you know, and just seeing that they had something, and it was hard to put your finger on exactly what it was, just somehow a kind of a peace about life and about the direction that they were going and so on. And the second thing was a volleyball season at school, which just sounds a bit strange, but I anything I do, I tend to get right into. I don't do things half-heartedly. I remember discovering volleyball and thinking, this is wonderful. You got to hit something and you didn't have to run. And um, I was good at it. And, you know, we I trained the team, my school team, you know, before school and lunchtime and after school, and, and we did quite well at it. But I remember quite distinctly at the end of the season, when it was all finished, thinking, oh, that was such a letdown that it's all over, and thinking, what am I going to do now? What am I going to occupy my time with? And it actually got me thinking quite deeply as a 15-year-old about those big philosophical questions of life. You know, what what is life about? You're born and you get an education, you get a good job, you have a family so that they can get a good education and get a good job and have a family and, and then you die. And even at a relatively young age, I was thinking about those kind of questions and realised that, you know, life needed to have something more than that. There had to be a greater meaning uh, in life. So it's me on a bit of a journey and I started to listen a bit more carefully to what my friends were saying uh, and to actually consider the Bible for myself a bit. Uh, We had some great Christian teachers at Kelvin Grove too and my friends were very involved in the ISCF, the Scripture Union Interschool Christian Fellowship Group and eventually in year 11 they got me along to a social because there was the promise of a volleyball match between a number of the local schools and whatever and, uh, and I was really impacted by the woman who gave the devotion that night, a lady called Marilyn Rosam. Uh, She was Marilyn Robertson in those days, and she was about to head off as a missionary to PNG, and she had been converted as an adult as a teacher and uh, was at Bible college preparing herself for overseas mission work. And she gave a devotion on the Beatitudes, and uh, I'll never forget it. There was just something about it that was really, really good. And uh, at that at that social, they were advertising a weekend Bible study camp, and so for the for the same group of schools, the Christian fellowship groups, the ISCF groups. So I signed up for that and went along to it. And there I met some amazing people: Keith Drinkle, Jim Rawson, Ruth Armstrong, Lynn Gallagher. And on that weekend camp, I got talking with a couple of the leaders and. One night, the Saturday night, I was asleep, about to go to sleep, lying in my bed thinking, you know, 
I just felt God saying, you know, you've, you've asked all the questions, you've really got the answers, what's stopping you now? So at that point, I made that step of faith and asked God into my life, really, you know, not, not very sure and not very whatever, but uh, I'm so glad that I did. So that was my faith journey. My friends were all in bed praying for me, you know, when I sort of said, oh, is anyone still awake? Yes. And it was just lovely, you know, they, they were very supportive. So um, I was nurtured very much by our Christian fellowship group at school, a fellow called Ted Brennan was our teacher and uh, he used to give us Bible studies and he worked with AFES for a while but he sort of came back to teaching. Yeah, he, he nurtured us and I continued to go to the inter-school activities, went on various scripture union holiday camps and I went on one in year 12 called May Leadership Conference uh, which was uh, less of an outreach camp and more of a training for Christian students and to be in an environment with so many keen Christians uh, for a week was tremendous experience and, and it was a wonderful time of fellowship and of growing and so on. So my nurturing as a young Christian came through Scripture Union, my, my conversion, and then my training for leadership. So when I finished school, I thought about what I wanted to become. I did very well at school and could have done pretty much anything, but I had been very positively impacted by my teachers at school too and could see that as a Christian you know this would be a great way to have an influence on people so I wanted to leave teaching open as a possibility and I went to uni doing a Bachelor of Science degree and a lot of psychology I thought maybe psychology might be a direction to go but by the end of my first or second year when I'd become quite involved in Scripture Union as a volunteer I made that decision that really teaching was an incredible opportunity to influence young people and and if you were a teacher who you know could debate those important issues then um, then that was a, a positive thing too. I think another major turning point for me in terms of my ministry came in my third year of uni. Yeah, I went on a camp called Study Camp that Scripture Union used to run where students would come away um, in the May holidays they were in those days and, and do their schoolwork, you know, play sport and then talk about God at night. And uh, there was a group of girls from Girls Grammar here in Brisbane and uh, they came on that camp. The school had had a terrible tragedy that year at their school and there were a lot of girls searching for answers. And a girl had become a Christian on the uh, previous holidays at one of the camps I was on and she was a very outspoken girl in year 12 and brought a number of friends along to this study camp. And for the first time, I had the opportunity to really share my faith and one of the girls who was school captain at the time really pummeled me with questions and, and the others were chipping in and it went on for about two and a half hours and I remember walking away thinking two things, thinking wow someone like her would never become a Christian and then thinking I want more of that, that's a great thing to do to talk about God and to talk about how the Christian faith is reasonable you know. Anyway, two nights later, she did become a Christian, and uh, I've had a lot to do with her over the years, and she's still a good friend. But uh, uh, yeah, and, and I suppose that set me on the path of thinking how great ministry was. And I actually got involved as a uni student running the group at Girls Grammar because they didn't have a teacher, and they had all these girls who were asking questions and inquiring about the faith. So there was really quite a move of God during those couple of years, my last couple of years at uni um, at Girls Grammar. So, and a lot of those girls I still know are going on with their faith, which is lovely. And then I suppose I went into teaching, but uh, Ruth Armstrong at Scripture Union did say to me at one stage, you know, have you thought about full-time Christian ministry? Particularly, she was looking to retire and go back to teaching, and she said, would you be interested in thinking about working for Scripture Union? And I remember at the time saying to her, oh, that would just be 
a dream job. Ruth's a very pragmatic person. She said, oh, it's not always good fun. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm so glad that she put that thought in my mind. And Jim Rawson at Script Union uh, was a very significant mentor for me in those days. And Jim used to talk with me about my faith. If I wanted to, if I had questions, I'd go and see him in his office. I don't know how he ever spared the time because I'd often occupy him for about an hour, but he would always give me that time and answer questions. And he, he said more or less the same thing. So after three years teaching in the government sector, I then joined Script Union as a schools worker. And uh, I had 11, 12 very happy years at Script Union, wonderful time, incredible opportunities, working with school groups, running camps, and being involved in the early days of chaplaincy a little bit too. That was really the vision of Keith Drinkall, but uh, uh, Keith was a wonderful mentor. Keith had a real passion for sharing the gospel with young people, and he passed that on to me. As a schools worker, you were sort of over a bunch of schools or a region or something and you guys saw that maybe it would be better to have chaplains within schools. Is that sort of how yeah. it worked? Wow. It, was, it was a wonderful progression. I, I was looking after the Christian fellowship groups probably in all the Brisbane and wider Brisbane area and doing some trips regionally. We had regional workers with Script Union in Rockhampton and Townsville and Cairns and Toowoomba and eventually Wide Bay. But we do visits to those regions. I was a school specialist. What happened was we, about the time I started at Script Union, they started a program called Christian Option. And the idea was to go into a school and to run a program for about six weeks where you presented Christianity within subject areas. Sounds amazing these days, but you know, within history and science and so on, to give a Christian perspective. Sort of in um, the classroom. In the classrooms, yeah, in class time. In the state schools. Mm, in the state schools. <laughs> and it, and it, it went for a few years, but it was hard work. Rob uh, Kitzelman wrote a lot of wonderful programs to do with that. Eventually, it sort of appeared that that was not going to be a bit tricky. But at the same time, uh, one of the Baptist churches on the north side had this vision for putting a chaplain into the school on behalf of all the churches. And I remember Keith Drinkall came to me one day and saying, I'm, I'm about to go to a meeting with the Minister's Fraternal. Um, I think we should pray about it. And I said, oh, OK. I said, what's the meeting about? He said, well, it's to put a chaplain uh, into the schools, um, you know, like, on behalf of all the ministers, all the churches. I said, oh, who's going to pay for that? And he said, well, the churches would pay for it. They'd all have to chip in a couple of thousand dollars. And, and there's no guarantee that anyone would come back to their churches as a result of that. I remember thinking, yes, well, we do need to pray about <laughs> that. And uh, anyway, uh, the churches um, thought it was a great idea. And the first chaplain was at Craigslee High School, followed pretty quickly by Everton Park, by the minister's fraternal there. It grew then, sort of slowly, and it, it became obvious. In those days, the chaplain used to teach RE. That's not the case anymore. So what decade are we roughly? That's about the early 90s. Right. Yeah, yep. yeah. Actually, I think it was 1990 was the first one because I noticed in the script, latest Script Union news that chaplaincy is 30 years old this year. Mm -hmm. So Chappie 1, Chappie 2. I remember Chappie 3 and 4 were in my area because um, by then I was sort of focusing more on the Brisbane West region and we had more schools workers and... Uh, uh, they'd come on camps, bring students on camps. Uh, it was a, a wonderful ministry. And it was interesting, the education department then wanted to have a closer look at it and assess it. But the principals were saying to them, well, you can have a look at it and assess it, but you're not taking them away because uh, they're doing a great job. And we thought it was pretty exciting when we got to 10 chaplains. And of course, now there's hundreds. And it's just uh, once the government got behind it, it was a, a remarkable, put some restraints on it as well. Mm. Um, but they are still doing incredible ministry in those schools. So yeah, really good things happening. And the schools seem to, from what I know, really appreciate yes. the chaplain's work and yes. them being there and what they can offer. Yeah, yeah. Even if they're not on board with mm. the, the Christian, Christian teaching yeah. or philosophy, That's they right. still appreciate what yeah. the chaplain does. Yes, I think it was um, well tested when Julia Gillard was Prime Minister and she, uh, the change that she made was that schools could choose between a chaplain and a 
either a school psychologist or welfare officer, I can't remember what they called them. But of course, chaplains are happy to accept a smaller wage. So, and I thought, well, that's a good move because the chaplains have to earn their keep then. They have to prove their worth, you know. And so, because schools could choose and choose mm. not to have a chaplain and they almost without fail chose a chaplain. So mm. I think that was a wonderful testimony to the good report that they've been in. And really considering how many chaplains we've had through the system, the fact that um, it has maintained a good reputation almost completely is quite extraordinary. You know, I mean, there's always some that are better than others, I guess, and there's been a couple of interesting moments, but mostly there has been no major problems with it, and that's a, mm. that's a miracle. That's God's work. You know, it's an incredible thing. Keith Drinkle's vision was that every young person in Queensland would get to hear the gospel, and that was, that was what drove him in everything, and it's a vision that he's passed on to me. I suppose what still drives me today, whether I'm a, a teacher or a script union worker, because I, I worked at 12, for 12 years at SU, and then one of the schools I had a bit to do with was Brisbane Boys College. And the chaplain there is a lovely fellow called Graham Cole. And uh, he said to me, when you're thinking about going back to teaching, uh, do apply with us. And I'd never thought of working in a fancy private school, and particularly not boys, because my focus had always been girls and discipling girls and training girls for leadership. So it was like, oh, that'd be funny. Um, but then it was actually a time when it was a bit difficult to get a job back in the state system, a permanent job. So I applied in this for the state system when I when it was time to leave SU and and I went to BBC one day and handed in my resume and I went to hand in my resume and they got the the headmaster out to talk to me. I was just I wasn't even dressed properly for an interview or anything and and there was all this sort of cryptic conversation about oh and if Chris was to come and work with us what would she teach and Graham said science and I was thinking I'm really a math more of a math teacher but anyway so the next year I was offered a job there a permanent position as a uh, as a science and Christian education teacher initially. And I That's eventually... a great combo, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah, it is. It's great. Just for breaking down stereotypes. Yes, yeah. definitely. And it was really funny. I remember one day I was coaching volleyball. I'm a little competitive, perhaps. But um, I remember I had one boy, and I was his volleyball coach, his science teacher, and his Christian ed, or ched teacher. And I remember thinking, this feels just like study camp. You know, <laughs> we're talking science, we're talking God, we're, talk we're playing volleyball. It's like, this is study camp all over again for me. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. So it was, it was fabulous. And, and I, you know, to my surprise, absolutely loved teaching boys, you know, and, uh, had, and I became a senior housemaster, head of house there, and, and spent 11 years, way longer than I thought, because my initial thought was, oh, I might be here for a couple of years. Maybe this is a leg in the door to a girls' private school, you know, but... Uh, it was 11 years before that happened. After 11 years, the job here at Somerville, the senior chaplain position came up and several people suggested that I should apply for it. Again, I'm not ordained. I've done no formal theological training. I hadn't at that stage. And I thought, seriously, you know, and they hadn't had a female permanent senior chaplain either. I thought, well, OK. And uh, to my again, to my great surprise, I, I got the jobs. And this is now my 14th year here. It's quite extraordinary. I had, no, again, no intention of staying that long. And I didn't think it was appropriate for someone over the age of 50-something to be a chaplain, but here I am. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Through all that, I mean, that's pretty full. You've done a lot, Chris. Mm. I'm guessing that you're not married. I don't That's know. correct, yes. Yep, yep. No, not married. Mm. Tell me the benefits of being single yeah. and the ministry and the life that you've had in the last Yeah, definitely. Decade. Look, it's a, it's, a, it's a great hidden secret, you know. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's not for everybody, um, but uh, it certainly has worked for me. Um, it hasn't always been easy, you know, having said that. 
Um, but there are great benefits um, to being single in the sense that you have flexibility. Um, you don't have, as my single friends will always remind me, we don't have more time because in actual fact, you have to do all the things that both partners would do. So not only do you sort of think about the house and the domestic stuff and you know, traditionally the, the, the women's side of things, I suppose, but you've also got to think about the car and your finances and, and you know the IT and all the things that perhaps a bit more traditionally the men do. But it is nice to have that flexibility. So when someone you know invites me somewhere, I don't have to check with someone. Um, I can just decide whether I'm going to do that or not. If I want to have time by myself, I can just choose to do that and say no. Uh, it's quite fascinating during this COVID season too, actually. I put a post on Facebook the other day. It's fun being a plus one, what I call a plus one, because the Premier keeps referring to, you know, families oh, can meet plus one. Yeah. So I haven't been very restricted. In, and I've, even in the early days, I was still able to exercise with friends. And then we realised, but we could still actually have dinner together in their house, you know, obviously, or takeaway. But yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm not feeling all that restricted. I went and visited one of my favourite families last night and had dinner and a, a hilarious time with them. But uh, yeah, so that, those, that's one of the benefits. I think that the sense of satisfaction that what you've achieved, you've achieved in your own right. That sounds a bit funny and it's not meant to sound arrogant, but it's just, you know, you've done this yourself with God. You know, you haven't um, relied on anyone else to do that. And, you know, I hope that doesn't sound selfish, but it's just that sense of satisfaction somehow that God, somehow we did this. And when you say I've done a lot, it's amazing. I had no idea. I'm not someone that makes a 10 year plan. I think maybe two or three years ahead at a time. But as I look back, I would never have imagined the journey I was on, you know, and I would never have imagined being a school chaplain. I thought that working at Scripture Union was the job of my life. And I thought, well, what do you do when you finish that at 35? You know, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Fill in time. But uh, it, I didn't realize there was another job just as wonderful around the corner for me. So, yeah, single, singleness has its positives and negatives. Certainly the idea of, of loneliness, you have to guard that. And I have a lot of good friends. And I, I'm very proactive in nurturing friendships too with, with, with single and married friends. And that's very, very important to me. And, I've, you know, my friends will say you know, that you, you work very hard at keeping those friendships and, and maintaining that. And I think, well, I need to for myself as much as anything else too. So mm. that's, uh, yeah, it's very enriching, those, those kind of good single friends too. And some of them we've journeyed for a long time. You don't particularly want someone to come and live with you. I don't particularly want that because you also become a bit sort of set in your ways. And, you, and I, I like the fact that at my place, nothing gets messed up unless I mess it up, you know. And that's actually, <laughs> I had uh, my godchildren at different stages due to circumstances when they were at uni coming and staying with me at different times, maybe one or two days a night. I remember once when one of them put things back in the wrong cupboard and I thought at first, she put that back in the wrong cupboard. And then I thought, don't be silly, Chris. That's absolutely irrelevant. She's coming here and staying with you. And it's just lovely having her. And what a privilege to, you know, be able to build into her young life. And it was really quite funny. So I realized, oh, you better not become too particular about things. Because <laughs> <laughs> you never know the future. No, that's right. <laughs> that's know. exactly, that's true too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of being single and ministering to teenagers I know they're not ready to get married but no. is it ever an issue for them do they ever ask you like because they can get a bit obsessed with getting married how does that yeah it's actually probably one of the things that put me off focusing on marriage a bit when I was a teenager because my friends were the same I'm thinking gee you know we were that age where we had free university we got an opportunity to build a career that our parents most of our parents never had 
And so I, it used to irritate me that that seemed to be all that they were interested in too. But I mean, not that I was completely uninterested, just the right person never quite came along. But, uh, well, maybe I wasn't the right person. But uh, yeah, um, what was your question again? Oh, just in terms of ministering to the girls. Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's interesting. When I was younger, when I was in my 20s, people would ask me quite often and girls that I was mentoring or discipling or whatever. And I was, and that's, you know, um, that, that was good to be able to talk to them about that. They were interested in, in that. I think, think, you know, marriage is the normal state, being with someone. I mean, it's a, a biblical thing, isn't it? You know, God saw the man and he was alone. It wasn't good. Um, and I think marriage is the normal state for most people. I think some people are called to be single. Um, and I suspect John Chapman and John Stott are probably in those sort of categories. But some people are single not by choice, and that's really hard. And I've got a number of friends like that who struggle uh, with singleness, and uh, that's a tough gig, you know, when they didn't particularly choose that path. Particularly girls, there seem to be more Christian girls and boys around when I was a young person. Um, the girls these days are probably not game enough to ask me, and half of them call me Mrs. O'Gorman, so I think they think I'm married even though I don't <laughs> wear a wedding ring. I'm even older than most of their parents now, so I'm of a generation where they just wouldn't be game enough to ask that question, and because of my role, I suspect, in the school. So I do share it occasionally. The funny thing is, I, I gave talks on singleness at different places for a number of years when I was in my 30s and perhaps into my 40s. And then the weirdest thing, just a year or two ago, one of the girls who used to be here and was is now was a leader at um, evangelical students at UQ, invited me to come and speak about singleness at the EES group. And then someone from, no, no, Student Life it was, that's right, Power to Change group. And then someone from ES invited me a couple of years later. So it was like, oh, suddenly I'm being asked about being single again in my, you know, approaching 60. So it was quite interesting um, that they were interested. I'd love mm. to talk a bit more about your work here at mm. the school I mean what does it involve what's your <laughs> what's your kind of goal and mm, yeah tell me about school chaplaincy here oh it's, it's it's a wonderful opportunity it's an incredible opportunity Somerville House is a Presbyterian Uniting Church school uh, so we can be quite open about the Christian gospel and I'm a part of the school community I'm not a script union chaplain I'm part of the school community on the school executive paid by the Presbyterian and Methodist Schools Association that runs the schools it's also a bit different from other church schools in Queensland in that those two churches are Reformation churches and so we can preach the gospel um, pretty faithfully and teach the Bible and that's really our focus. Um, there is certainly plenty of ceremonial sides to what we do as well but really that proclamation of the gospel is the heart of what we do. My goal is to see people um, come closer to God wherever they are on the spectrum. So if they're completely ignorant, I want them to learn at least about Jesus and about God. If they're negative, I'd love them to move towards being neutral. If they're neutral, I'd love them to move towards being positive. If they're positive, I'd love them to move towards seeking. If they're seeking, I'd love to see them become Christians. If they become Christians, I'd love to see them disciple in their faith. And once they're discipled, we want to see them as Christian leaders. And it was a great sense of success a couple of years ago when one of the staff workers with AFES met me one day and said, oh, I've, I've been stalking you on Facebook. She said, we've had some really wonderful young women from Somerville through AFES in, in recent years. And I thought, what a that's the greatest kind of testimony and privilege to hear that story. And uh, the other thing that's happened in just the last year or two is a number of quite significant recent graduates who've become Christians, one of them at school, but two of them since they left school. And just to hear how God's worked in their lives, it's, it's just wonderful. So that's the heart of what we're on about. I want to see kids come to know the Lord and grow in their faith and be replicating. That's the passion of my life. You know, Keith Drinkall passed that on to me many years ago. Until someone shows me something better in terms of how to spend my time and energy, that's what I'm doing. I did not think I'd be doing it at 60, but there you go. 
What chaplaincy actually involves here at this school is an interesting mixture of things. Uh, it involves giving messages. Uh, every week on assembly, there's like a small devotional component. So there's a three or four minute message, um, a Bible reading, a prayer and a hymn or a song, trying to move towards more contemporary songs these days. Uh, the girls have chapel about once a month. And so there's, there's messages. There's two of us that are chaplains, so I don't do all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's special occasions. Um, there's special valedictory service, Easter service, Anzac service, various different things like that. The other large component of my time is teaching Christian education. And to me, that's really important because if I'm up there on assembly or in chapel, the girls have no comeback. They've got to sit there and listen to me. But where in Christian education is where they can push back and I encourage them to do so. I tell them my story. I tell them that I used to make my friends cry um, arguing against Christianity to them before I became a Christian. And, and, and I say, so bring it on. My friends would say, you know, give it your darndest. And I also say to them, I've probably asked every question there is to be asked almost. Just it's very rare for me to be asked a question I haven't heard before. Um, so I love that kind of back and forth with the girls and, and trying to make the program, there's a lot of apologetics in what we do and a lot of Jesus and Gospels and uh, the Gospel. And um, so trying to make it as relevant and Bible and Gospel focused as possible. There's pastoral care. So I'm involved in um, when there's sort of tragedies at the school. There's, we've had some very big ones here in my time and that's been a big thing. Um, part, general pastoral care of staff and students, particularly if there's illness or bereavement in families, that kind of thing. Um, I do funerals, I, I do weddings now, and again, it's lovely. I'm now at the stage where most of the girls I marry are girls that I've taught, and so that's that's really lovely. That's a real privilege and too. practically, do you do that as a celebrant? or No, I've, I've got a cre- accreditation in my denomination um, to do weddings, so I'm a accredited pastor in the Australian Christian churches. So, I, yeah, I do that, um, do weddings yeah, as, as, a, as a Christian, which is really good because it could be tricky, some of the uh, restrictions around uh, being a civil celebrant, yeah. So we do them in the chapel or, you know, wherever they want to get married. I'm doing one in a vineyard next year, I think, out at near Boona or something. <laughs> Done them on the beach, you know, that's uh, it's, it's quite fun. I'll, I'll tell them I'll do anything except they won't jump out of a plane. Not into <laughs> jumping out of planes. Um, but that, yeah, that's a lovely part of it. And then the, the, another, the other big part of my job is what I term creative loitering yeah, or loitering with intent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hang out at a lot of school functions. So my diary is very busy. At the moment it's incredibly empty, but uh, whenever you have school functions, sporting events, music events, things involving families or whatever, it's a great way to hang out and to make connections with families. So I've had some pretty amazing conversations with parents on the sidelines of a hockey match or, you know, at a music concert or whatever. And, and surprise, surprise, when I run a family service, they're the, fa- the parents that come, you know, so you get to know those families very well as well. So yeah, and I, I love watching the girls play sport. And if you support them, then they're more likely to support what you're doing as well. So it's a great benefit in terms of making connections. Yeah, but I, I creatively loiter around staff rooms and the playground and everything as well, too. So there's a fair bit of that goes on during the school day as well. Chris, I'm I'm exhausted hearing all that. It's fantastic, though. I love it. And I can yeah. see that it energises you. It does. You. It energises me, yep. Have you ever gone through a patch where you've sort of gone, oh, that question again, you know, yawn, here we go. <laughs> like, have you ever had a kind of a patch where it hasn't energised you? or? It- um, oh, yes. We have, well, I have my bad days. I'm not always sort of feeling so excited. Um, but I, I love talking to people about what I do. But I, I think probably one of the most discouraging or disheartening times, I, and I remember one particular lesson where this happened. We had a terrible tragedy here when these girls were in year 10 and one of their classmates was killed in terrible circumstances. 
And those girls were affected all the way through. And there, even to start with, there had been very few Christian families. We don't have a lot of Christian families here, but some year levels have a bit of a cluster. But this group, there was only one girl that I, maybe two that I knew were Christian, and they were very quiet about it. They didn't want to particularly be known. So it was a quite a tricky year. And I remember when they were in year 12 and, uh, you know, you sort of felt like you'd been getting somewhere with them. And we do, did a unit on Does God Exist? And uh, I get them, we do this little class discussion, I call it, where they sit in a horseshoe shape and it's a spectrum, you know, from de- definitely believe God, God does not exist to not sure but inclined to think he doesn't exist to absolutely not sure to, you know, um, think he might exist but not sure to absolutely convinced he does exist. And there was nobody up that end. And they were all up this end. And it just was this discussion and it was the usual questions and I'm doing my best to answer them. But I, I do remember thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I thought we'd come a little bit further than this and I did find it a little bit discouraging, I suppose. I remember another class I had, I think it was only last year of Year 12s, where I got a bit annoyed with them because they were being very cynical. And again, they were girls, some of them I'd journeyed with. And I thought, gee, I'd have expected a bit more than this. And I remember one one day just closing down the lesson five minutes early and just saying, oh, well, you're obviously not interested in this. Go and have lunch. See you later. And they looked at me. They were a bit shocked, I think. <laughs> Off they went. And <laughs> that was the end of the lesson. So that was a bit naughty. But, you know, <laughs> I do have days where I get a little bit, yeah, a little bit sort of over it. <laughs> Absolutely. Forgetting that it's actually the Holy Spirit, not my good explanations that convince people. And that's the, that's those, when those moments happen, when I forget that this is God's work. I'm just the, the vessel and you've got to be very patient. And, and they come back to you. You know, one of those girls who's become a Christian was one from that really tough year, you know, and she came back to me years later on Facebook and just said, you up for a coffee and a God chat? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. So and it, she hadn't actually made a commitment at that point, but she'd gotten away from her atheist friends and had new friends, one of whom was a Christian. And uh, anyway, I said, you know, I think God might be at work in your life. And she said, yeah, I think so too. She said, maybe we need to have another coffee at the end of the year. I said, yep. So it was just delightful. She's become a Christian and going on in her faith. It's lovely. Oh, you must know so many people. Like... Yes. Every year. Yes, between Scripture Union and, and, oh, yeah, and, and schools. Yeah. Whenever you work in schools, it's like that. And when I was at BBC, I was a bit more, I tried to be a bit more low profile. I think Scripture Union was a wonderful place to, to work. And I've made my best friend. You meet wonderful Christian people, you know, incredible, incredibly mature Christian women and men and, you know, down to earth and fun and, and just really Bible focused people who love to get on with it, pragmatists, just like me, I suppose. So, uh, but after a while, I was sort of hankering for that non-Christian contact again too. And BBC, I really felt like I needed to re-establish myself in my career and just kind of see whether, okay, when you're not surrounded by Christians, does it still work, you know? And are you still as passionate? And so that was a really good experience and uh, and a good test of that. And then of course I ended up back in ministry, but again, being in a community where the vast majority of people are not Christian, um, it's, it's, yeah, that's a good challenge and it keeps you constantly on your toes and you're aware constantly that you're a witness. But yes, I do know a lot of people because I've always lived in Brisbane apart from a year living, teaching in Gainder and because I've been involved in ministries that I suppose got me involved with a lot of people at Scripture Union and the evangelical church scene in Queensland's not huge, you know. Where and how do you feel you get your support? I mean, I'm mm. sure it's sort of mm. can come from different ways, but I guess, I mean, yeah. here at Somerville, 
you feel supported yeah. and yeah yeah look the um, other Christian teachers here and I suppose over my time here I've been able to build a team it's been a, a slow process yeah the other Christian education teachers and there is an associate chaplain here as well too um, how, but, how big is the school um, it's got um, just under 1400 girls yeah, yeah, so it's quite a big school. That's from pre-prep right mm. through to year 12. Mm. So, um, yeah, so the, the team here is certainly a great encouragement. But, you know, the usual things, daily time with the Lord, you know, um, I've been using Scripture Union notes for a very, very long time, of course, and having a daily quiet time has always been a big Scripture Union thing. So that's very important. And when you're a single person, it does force you to rely on God more too. And that's a that's a good thing. It's not always an easy thing, but it is a good thing. Um, just at the moment, actually, I've got a, you know, when this COVID stuff was happening and it was quite, you know, we were all fairly anxious at the start in particular. One of my very good friends and I um, actually started doing our daily devotions because we both use the same SU notes together. So we FaceTime now and uh, actually do it together. It's quite a lovely habit. So it'll be, um, I, I'm thinking next week when the, some of the girls start coming back to school, I may not have the time to do it. I'm sure be real, really sad if we have to give it up, but uh, that's been good. I was part of a very wonderful home group for many, many years too. Obviously the fellowship at church and and through Christian friends and mentors. Um, I feel incredibly blessed to have worked at Scripture Union as a young schools worker. I was the youngest one they'd ever employed. Um, and there were some wonderful, mature Christian people. And Scripture Union um, just got you involved in mature Christian, with mature Christian people. So I have some incredible mentors. Um, Keith Drinkle sadly passed away a few years ago, very unexpectedly. And uh, But his wife, Jeanette, you know, they still pray for me. And she and Ruth Armstrong are part of a prayer group. And I know they pray for me, you know, every time they meet once a month. And, uh, you know, Jim Rawson, I catch up with Jim and his wife. After Keith passed away, I thought, gee, I need to you know, stay in touch with these people. Another lady called Glennis Palmer, who was, she was on the Scripture Union board. She became a real mentor as well too. So these sort of people, and I had another Christian mentor friend who was an elderly lady who passed away last year, um, who was very different sort of a Christian, um, but just had such a love for the Lord. And uh, those sort of people spending time with older Christians, I find very, very encouraging and settling. And even though I am an older Christian now, so, you know, and that need to invest in, in younger people is important as well. And I suppose too, you know, remembering the legacy that I've inherited from Scripture Union and thinking this is a, well, it is my life calling, I suppose, um, is to work in schools and because schools are an incredible mission field. So reminding myself of that legacy and of that vision um, certainly energizes me when I'm feeling the battle, because it is a battle at times, you know, when... Yeah, you know, most of the people around you, you know, the, the, the Christian life of the school, not everyone thinks like I do that that's the most important part of the school. Yep. Um, so, but you know, that's that's my job to encourage people, and it's very well respected here, and uh, um, I feel very well respected and supported by the school, and yeah, but but it's sort of nice to to have that support from outside as well too. It's an interesting job because you're quite high profile within the school community, but mm. then. You're almost invisible, as mm. in nobody really who's not in the mm. community. They don't really know what you do. What you do. That's right. Look, I, I, I actually spoke at the Presbyterian Theological College last year and the United Church one too, just to drum up interest and support, partly because we're always looking for new chaplains and, and new, well, occasionally looking for new chaplains and Christian education teachers. And I just want to keep the interest there. And one of the young fellows at the Presby College and they're going really well. It's a wonderful college and they're very passionate about parish work and the local church. And I kind of, you know, my job was to share another vision, but the principal of the college, his daughter comes here and it's great. He's a great encouragement and a great fan. So that's lovely. And anyway, I said, you know, this young man said to me, so, you know, I'm focused on becoming a church minister and why do I need to be thinking about chaplaincy and, and what can I do to support what you're doing? 
I said, well, I said, um, you know, the schools are your mission field. I said, get your kids and any members of your congregation who are teachers to see it as a mission field. Encourage them to see it that way. And, you know, get the kids to invite their friends along to youth group and along to church, the teachers to invite their friends to church. I said, we're here to serve you in that way. You know, we're, we're a mission of the church. And uh, I, I find that that, that that was a really helpful thing. Not everybody gets that, but the Uniting Church do as well too. So I had a good response from the trainees as well too so we sort of visit the churches once a year and there's a uniting church here a um, contemporary one that's just started in town new life brisbane a wonderful church very contemporary services and their minister is very keen to partner in whatever way they can and same with ann street presbyterian they've got a new youth minister this year and so both of those men just before all this happened actually i'd had some wonderful catch-ups with them and we were busy planning and dreaming as, as to what we could do so to get the churches a bit involved that way i'm always looking for churches i can recommend to girls and Mm. BBC it was a bit easier because BBC is in the western suburbs and very much in the western suburbs. Some of all is inner city and the girls come from everywhere. So, you know, finding good churches um, to recommend to them. Um, but then they do the job themselves. The ones that are from Christian families often will. And I say to them, yes, feel free to invite your friends along to your youth group. That's a great idea. You know, definitely do that. So, um we're always looking to try to feed people back into churches when we can. And, and when I, one of the girls who I've been in touch with this year, who very impressive former school captain who's become a Christian, it was just a oh, wonderful news um, that she's growing in faith. And, uh, you know, it was just, just so good to hear that she's involved in a church. And even during this time, I've been, because she's only young as a Christian yet, I've been trying to encourage her, get involved in church online, go to church online, check this out, check that out. And it's just really important to get them involved in regular fellowship. We, we have a very strong connection to with the AFES and Power to Change group. So at the end of each year, we have a, a lunch uh, or sort of a lunchtime meeting where we invite more or less our past students these days who are involved in those groups to come and talk to the current year 12 Christian group about getting involved when they go to uni and they have oh, stuff over summer. that'd be lovely. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really important. If they don't come from Christian families and they may not yet have their licence or a car, um, church might be just a bridge too far. But if they go to the tertiary Christian group, then from there they can get involved in church once they, you know, have got their license and everything. Mm. Oh, that's great. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 